0: Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Oh, come on. I love you guys, man. I love Jesus. I know we all love each other in this church, uh, but I know that the foundation of why we come here is because we love Jesus. Jesus. And uh, it's been something that's just really important to me over the last couple of days. Jess and I, we've been talking together about how important it is for this community to maintain that its purpose and its reason is foundationally a love for Jesus. Our love for one another, our time spent, things like Easter at the park, which I absolutely love, uh, and I want you guys to come out to and invite some friends to. Uh, this is all foundationally on, on, the, on the heart and the love of Jesus, that relationship with Jesus, It moves us towards one another, moves us towards generosity and giving. I love you guys so much. And we're going to be preaching today out of uh, 1 Peter 2 uh, 1 through 11. We're going to be talking about uh, something that I thought was pretty interesting uh, when I started studying on it. And it's going to be about uh, our identity as Christians. And there's a lot of different ways that I've heard people kind of approach uh, this concept of what it means to be a Christian, what your identity is as a Christian. Um, and some of them, some of the sermons I thought were kind of rah-rah, like uh, a little bit empty for me, almost like cotton candy. Sometimes I felt like the sermons were like, wow, that was really interesting. Uh, and, uh, but there's a, really a lot of complexity on how we see ourselves and how we behave. Uh, and this identity of teaching and phrase, it's an important commentary and teaching on how we see ourselves and how we relate to God, how we relate to others, our, pre- our past, our present, our future. So, some of you have identities that are rooted in scriptural things, um, and sometimes it's Old Testament scripture things. Like you see yourself as a soldier, or you see yourself as a, uh, a sheep, uh, or you see yourself as perhaps a father or mother, or, or maybe it's your job, and that's your identity. Maybe it's your age group or your gender, gender and that's your identity. Maybe it's some kind of subculture within the world, uh, and that's your identity. But when we look at Scripture and when we really begin to understand, uh, what does it look like for us to understand this true identity that Christ has for us? What are we supposed to do? Is uh, Is it that your fullest, greatest spiritual realization is to be a pastor that preaches? If that's your full vision on what the final culminating spirituality for you is, then you might be chasing something for a lifetime that has actually never been in your design and purpose from Jesus. So the question to ask today as we're reading and we're teaching out of 1 Peter is, what is the highest form of spiritual achievement that I can achieve? What is your highest form of spiritual achievement? Is it to be a pastor? Is it to be an apostle? Is it to be a businessman? Is it to have a different attitude? Is it to have the same personality but just a little less cussing? Is it uh, it to never get angry again? Uh, Is it to float around in life just content with nothing, uh, walking around barefoot or maybe in sandals and flip-flops or white tennis shoes? Like, what is your highest form of spiritual achievement? What is it for you specifically that God has designed that to be? Because if your highest form of spiritual achievement is to be a pastor, then it's important that you really dive deep on whether or not that's accurate to what God's will and design is for your life. Or have you just built an assumption that the most spiritual people among us are pastors? Because it may not be the case. It's just a specific design in the body of Christ. It's a specific design that God has for me or maybe some other folks that plays a certain role in community. But you gotta understand between you and Jesus, what is your highest form of spirituality that God is developing inside of you? Is it that you cry every week in worship like that one person across the room? Is it that you get flags in worship and dance around? Is it that you lift your hands? Is it that you spend prostrate on your face time with Jesus in worship time? Is it that you're stoic and you're like, you never go up, you never go down, you never do either, you're just on a straight line through humanity and all of your life? So we're understanding or trying to understand what does it look like to have our identity in Jesus and what are we supposed to see ourselves as. And so if we go to 1 Peter 2, 1 through 11, we'll begin this understanding of what uh, is actually being authored in our life as an idea of who we are as Christians. And it says, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Important to notice, if the Bible's telling you to put these things away, that it is very much possible for you to put them away. The Bible wouldn't tell you to put something away if it was impossible for you to put it away. Sometimes we lie to ourselves and say, well, I just can't stop doing these things. But it's not that you can't stop, it's that you won't stop because you desire to do them. So it's not good for us in our relationship with Jesus to claim inability when it's actually an issue of desire. We must recognize a failure to be like Jesus or to put away these things is not an inability issue, it's a desire issue. So if you're doing these things as you are a Christian or in Jesus, it's not because you can't stop, it's because you're choosing to continue not that good? And I like the Bible because it, it does provoke you away from weak mindsets or victim mindsets, that you are a victim to sin. As a Christian, you can't claim victim to sin, because the one in you is greater than he that's in the world. So as a believer, you can't say these sins, they own me. As truly as a Christian, you actually have to understand that you have the ability to overcome all things because the one who overcame all things lives inside of you and is shaping you and forming you so this may not be an immediate thing it may be something you're learning to do which is what we're about to get into which verse 2 actually speaks in a direct line to what's the most important next thing when the bible tells you to put these things away it says like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that by uh, it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, so right now here we see the Bible actually begin to introduce maturity phases we may find ourselves in spiritually. And right here you see newborn infants. So where are you at in your spiritual maturity? Are you a spiritually full-grown person? Are you a spiritual infant, a newborn? Uh, it's not actually good for you to act Uh, like a spiritual adult if you're a spiritual infant. If you're projecting to other people that you got it and you don't need help, you don't need aid, that's actually really misleading to community and community might accidentally let a newborn die because it's projecting itself as a full-grown adult. See, newborn infants, the thing about them is that they actually need somebody to hold them, they need somebody to help them supply the food, bring them to the food, and they need somebody to be consistent, hear their cries, Here they're in a, right? They they need somebody to meet their needs spiritually. And so the newborn infant's role and responsibility is desire nourishment from God. So desire is going to be a huge thing for you. It's a huge thing for you in your maturing process is that you may find yourself at a place of spiritual infancy or toddlership uh, or, you know, right around teenager. You might be a spiritual teenager. That's a wild time. You know, a real wild time. Spiritual young adulthood, even more wild, you know, because you're like going around driving, you got a job, you know, and uh, you start to kind of see yourself as that job. It can become a little bit of a trap. But no matter what phase you find yourself in in your spiritual journey and maturation, uh, it's important that you see that maturation and that growing process as between you and Jesus. Jesus. It's you and Jesus because you're going to be successful in stopping sin by actually learning to focus on a desire for the Lord. It's better to learn to desire the Lord than it is to stop sin, stop sin, stop sin. We're actually drawn to a vision, and a vision gives us life. We see that in Proverbs, where there was no vision, the people perish. So actually, vision gives us life and energy, capacity, ability, strength. So you don't get life by trying to not do death. Okay? So you get close to Jesus, and your relationship with the enemy hurts. You build closer connection to Jesus, and you actually begin to distance yourself from the enemy and his ways. As you grow connected to the Father in heaven you actually grow less connected to the father of lies. So lies are broken when you find truth, not when you just confront the lies. Because how many of you guys have had it happen to where you confronted a lie in yourself, and you're like, yeah, that's a lie, that's bad. But then you just replace that lie with another lie. It's a new lie. You don't know it's a lie until you realize you're just swapping out old lies for new lies. And you keep going through this deception cycle over and over again. It's just new deceptions. So you defeat lies by Jesus the way the truth and the life being established in your life and you having great relationship with Jesus, and that will defeat the lies. Because the true way to defeat deception is for truth to live inside of you. Sweet. Okay, cool. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, a small note here, if you've lived a Christianity that has tried to motivate you through condemnation and guilt, you can exchange that version of God, which is a false version of God, for a version of God that is good and that is loving, and it motivates you, and it mobilizes you to righteousness. You don't need fear to be your slave master for righteousness. Sweet, okay. As you come to him, verse four, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is where it gets really, really interesting because it begins to introduce to you that uh, you are actually meant to be royal priests. You are meant to be uh, this, this uh, identity in Jesus that is powerful. And royal priests, it's not just priests. It's royal priests. And so it's king priests. It's authority and holiness put together. It's authority and holiness put together. And this isn't just the design of leaders amongst us. This is the design for every believer and Christian to grow into. This is its purpose. Why is, why is Jesus building you up? It's so that you can fully realize your identity as a royal priest, a king priest. And if you wonder where this comes from historically, this whole idea of royal priest goes all the way back to character... Of uh, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blessed Moses. And uh, whether you believe Melchizedek was a type of Christ or Christ, the point is there was a figure there in the Bible, an encounter that Abraham had that created a lineage of royal priesthood that goes all the way to Jesus and establishes us as royal priesthood inheritors. Royal priesthood inheritance. So when it says we're co-heirs with Christ and we've received this inheritance in Christ, it is the identity of king priests. And so this is a real conflict if you see yourself as my sheep forever. And there's a classic idea that in a congregation you have a shepherd, a pastor, and it's translated shepherd, right? And then there's those who sit in the congregation, pretty much everybody else, and they are sheep. And there are sheep to that shepherd, and this is my flock. And I would actually like to create some different understanding of this so that Jesus is our shepherd. For sure, this is biblical, accurate, it's beautiful. In this context, we are all sheep, and we are all meant to have this very yielded, unquestioning following of Jesus. Okay, so I'm never going to dismount this idea that like sheep, We should inherit between us and God a sense of I am foolish without Jesus. So, sheep are pretty dumb, right? And so, we are in his ways are higher than our ways. This should there should be a maintained status between us and God that he's just smarter, he's just wiser, he's greater, and that I'm not trying to get to a place of superiority or equal in terms of intelligence and say over my life. In that sense, that identity as a sheep with Jesus is beautiful. It's humble, it's yielded, it's willing to follow, no matter how mature I get in community or with other people. Between God and I, it's humility releases grace, pride encourages and induces a resistance from God. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. So in that, context, in that context, it's beautiful. But in the context of another person, me, pastor, uh, who shepherds, you shouldn't maintain sheep identity with me for a long time. You shouldn't maintain dumb and following status for a long time in Christianity or in church world when it comes to other people. What you want to start to kick into pretty quickly is an idea and understanding that God has called you sons and daughters, not dumb sheep. And so a better understanding between you and I is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, so that I don't maintain a role of superiority and intelligence and wisdom and understanding and revelation over those who sit in the seats, but a better understanding of who we all are in Jesus is we are being built up as spiritual houses a royal priesthood. How many king, priest, sheep do you see? So here's where the conflict comes. If you act in this community towards other people as sheep, it may very well be the idea of yourself that is stopping you from becoming a royal priest. So God calls you a royal priesthood for a reason. It's meant to be this understanding that even if I am dealing with uh, spiritual infancy issues, I'm not meant to stay in a place of newborn infancy forever. And that my spiritual maturation should happen to the point that in my desiring of spiritual milk, I don't only stay at milk diet, but I get to the meat of the spirituality as well. Remember when Paul talked about, I wish you could actually handle more than just the milk. Because there is a longing for us in leadership, if we have the right heart, that all would be at the place of the appetite, the diet, and the spiritual maturation, that they're sitting down and they're eating the things of God, the words of God, which is fresh bread, which is meat. They're eating the things that take a little bit more time to process in their body than five minutes. See, the interesting thing about steak is it takes some time. You eat a big one, it's like, oh, man, I was digesting that thing for like a day and a half or something. And so if you're spiritually immature, it means you don't have the tension span or the meditation ability to carry a word of God longer than, what, an hour, two hours, three hours, maybe a half day, maybe a day. But God has built it in you to have this spiritual maturation, this royal priesthood where you can hear words from God, you can read words from God, and you can actually meditate on it, digest it, for long periods of time. And so if you see yourself as newborn infant, it's important that you understand the call of God in your life is not to maintain that foolish, immature status but it's actually the call of God in your life to realize priesthood, royal priesthood. So this is an inheritance thing. This is not uh, something that is earned. It's something that needs to be desired, but it's not something that's earned through good works. So your role, as I like to identify in Scripture, is to desire It's to desire God. It's to desire that nourishment from God. So your role is not to produce righteousness. It's to desire it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see the difference? Okay, cool, sweet, awesome. Then I can move on. You yourselves are like living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. You are being built up. Be really transparent about where you are in the building process. Be really honest with yourself. Where are you at? Are you at a place uh, where you are continually uh, claiming victim uh, and sins of ignorance or foolishness? Are you continually in this place where like sin is happening to you and you don't know what to do? Or like you didn't mean to? Are you continually in this place? I would say that Jesus is calling you to a greater maturation, A greater maturity where you take responsibility. You take ownership. And when you take ownership of your life in this state, all of a sudden it's like you are a royal priest. You have the authority of a king. And you have the holiness mandate of a priest. So that means you are ultra powerful, but also ultra yielded to the character of God. So when we recognize power corrupts and this absolute, absolute power corruption that takes place with those who have power, this is, this is what happens when someone's just a king and not a king priest. So your identity as a Christian, as a believer, is one that is growing into a fully powerful person but is also growing into a fully yielded person to the character of God. So you can do anything you want but you choose to do what is the most loving thing. And you see that echoed, this identity echoed in verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It echoes this awesome thing again. It's probably a scripture that we write on the mirror of our bathroom, right? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and it like it's like a it's like a locker room speech. It gets you motivated. You're ready to go uh, live for Jesus. <laughs> You're ready to go do something cool, man, because there's this idea there. It's like, whoa, I'm a royal priesthood. My coach said I was a dirtbag, but. <laughs> but God said I'm a royal priest. That's awesome, you know? And so what what is the relationship that exists between, the, between you and God? Do you have a clear understanding of who he is in your life? Do you have a clear relationship with God? Do you have a, a direct one? You know, Paul said to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ, but this... The, but this was a phase of life and maturity. At some point, you've got to grow from being a Timothy, someone following someone else's godly pattern and behavior, and you've got to become a Paul, somebody who's following God. It wouldn't be a spiritual, uh, it wouldn't be our full spiritual design for us to be a Timothy for our whole life in that moment, in that time, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's so good. I remember uh, there was this one pastor leader guy, Lou Engel, right? And he would pray a certain way. And if you knew him, he, he rocked when he prayed, right? He's just, and so I really had a, re- like, I mean, I really got saved like when, right around him like laying hands on me, praying for me, preaching at the church I was going to. Like that's right about when it happened for me, right? Like for real. Like I knew Jesus accepted in my heart 75,000 times before that as a pastor's kid. But that's when I re, whoa, like I really, yep, this is it. And, and so, you know, when I started praying, I was, because like the same way, like my son hates to think of it, right? Because he likes to be his own person. So he doesn't like it when somebody tells him that I look. He looks just like me. Did you know this is about my son? He hates it. They're like, dude, you look just like your dad. He's like, no, I don't. <laughs> dude, I'm so sorry, bro. I'm so sorry. You do. <laughs> Let's be rooted in truth. <laughs> but he. So, but he. He mimics some of my behavior, right? So we're playing catch, and so he'll try and do the stuff we do that I do when I'm playing catch. He'll do different things I do. We're playing Smash Bros. now, and I'm crushing all of my kids in Smash Bros. (laughs) I'm the kind of dad that doesn't let their kids win. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's why mom plays. Oh, my gosh. Guys, it was so fun. Like, I smoked them like four or five games in a row, right? And then I'm like, baby, you come play, you know? Like, Monroe's playing. She's like four years old or three. Uh, She's three years old. So Monroe's playing. I'm like, surely you'll do good. And so, but it turns out, I didn't teach her anything. I just handed her the control. I go, go for it. And she got last place. (laughs) And guys, my wife is competitive. You don't know this because she's sweet. She's kind. She's so gracious in community. She stormed off. She stormed off mad at all the kids and me for not teaching her how to play and throwing her into the wolf's Den. And I just watched the whole game. Brixton went after her nonstop the whole game. I was so proud of him. You did it, son, <laughs> you're a man now. <laughs> but we, we mimic we mimic, and we imitate behavior, right? And, and there's a part of this that, you know, Paul talked about, hey, this pattern you see in me, take it on, like what you see me doing with Jesus, do those things, understand those things. Because as somebody's growing in their connection with Jesus, growing in their ability to hear from Jesus and to understand Jesus, Uh, imitating men and women of God is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Where it becomes uh, damaging to you is when you only stay there forever. It's gonna take more courage to have a direct line with Jesus and to hear from him. But if you only ever know how to be a Christian in the way that that Paul in your life is a Christian, then you're gonna miss a really important part of your unique design and purpose that God has for you. You probably have a unique gift mix. You probably have a unique assignment. You probably have a unique timing and temperament that you've got to identify and find because God has made all of us so unique and so beautiful and we're all supposed to fulfill a different purpose in the body. So if the foot's trying to be a hand because it never developed a direct connection to the head, which is Christ, then you're going to have a really weird walk. Are you gonna, I know it's funny, but like you're going to have a really awkward way of living. You're going to be like, why am I so bad at being a foot? And it's because you're trying to be a hand. You're trying to be a hand. I, I remember, so there's this one pastor guy in my life, Mike Richardson. He's, he is the most pure pastor gifted person I think I've ever met. He calls me and like checks in on me. That's a wild idea. I love people, but I don't call to check in. You might know this if you're in a relationship with me. I'm not one of those like, hey, brother, how's your day going, man? Just checking in. I did it twice this last week because I'm trying to develop a new discipline. I felt awkward and weird the whole time. And I literally told them, I'm like, hey, I'm calling to check in. I don't have anything else. They're like, okay. I was like, can we be done now? <laughs> it's just like, what do you do? Can we build something? Can we run after something? Can we do something cool? Can we go on an adventure? This is weird. They're like, yeah, this is weird. Let's hang up. Like, All right. We hung up just like that. I was so happy. This royal priesthood, it's its it's what happens when you begin to understand how God is directly shaping you. I wanna I want to bring you to a scripture before we finish that I think is extremely helpful. First John two twenty-six through twenty-seven says, I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. And the warning here was actually false teachers that were trying to tell people Jesus wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't the son of God. So it was an antichrist narrative. It was against the divinity of Christ. So he's saying to him, but you have received the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit of God. You've received the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you've probably heard this before, but you didn't receive just a part of God. And it's not just a part of God living inside of you. It's all of God. And that's important to know because that means that the God living inside of you is greater than your character or behavior are. So you have a guest that's better than you. You have a guest that's holier than you. And that's a that's a really good way to feel about how you're living in sinning and how you're living in goodness, how you're living in your strengths. You have something living inside of you that will always be greater than you. That's very humbling. Very humbling. And so you have the Holy Spirit lives inside you and He lives within you so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what He teaches is true and it is not a lie. So just as He taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. So put away these things, malice, deceit, etc., etc., and stay in fellowship with Jesus. Again, Like, it wouldn't be saying remain in fellowship with Jesus Christ if it wasn't possible for you to remain. So look at the two things it asks of you as a person. It doesn't say produce your own salvation. It doesn't say create righteousness in yourself. It says put away and remain. So now you know as a Christian, as a royal priest, that you actually have the ability to put away and to remain. That's powerful. So you could put away these things, you could put them away, and you can choose to remain in relationship with Jesus. And I thought about this phrase. It says, but you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. If I heard this from someone, and they're like, hey, you don't need to teach me because Holy Spirit will, it would sound arrogant, right? Like if I said it to somebody, they'd be like, dude, that sounds arrogant, bro especially if they didn't know I was quoting a scripture, they'd be like, whoa, bro, like you gotta be humble, teachable. Somebody comes up to you, he's like, I don't need you to teach me. It's like, it sounds arrogant, right? And so if it comes across as arrogance, it's, uh, it's important to recognize that the tone of the scripture, the context of the scripture, is that there's relationship and a yieldedness to Christ. And it's saying you have access to all of the knowledge and all of the revelation you may need for your life. So you don't need anyone to teach you for you to have a learning and a growing uh, path with God. And this was unique to Old Testament where you needed a priest, right? They were the representative of God's will and voice and word, and they taught you, they instructed you, and you needed them. But in this context, in this identity as a believer, you don't need me preaching in order for you to be growing in the Holy Spirit, You don't need it. It can help. It can be extremely helpful, and community is extremely helpful, but you don't need it to know what God's revelation is for your life. Begins to give you an insight to what it means to be a king priest. It's somebody that's fully empowered and somebody that has full access to all of the revelation and all of the wisdom they may ever need for their life. Now, if you're truly in fellowship with Jesus, it means that you've got humility as your cloak and as your posture. So the Bible says it so well. It says, hey, the, God gives grace to the humble but resist the proud. The Bible says it so well, so if you've got somebody coming up real haughty and saying, I don't need anything from anybody, right away you could see a ton of arrogance. And you can see that this statement is in a statement of realizing almost what's, what's responsibility as a spiritual person. Because when you realize that you're fully capable, then actually victim, victim mindset can't stay. When you realize you have everything you need living inside of you, you can't be like, well, nobody's helped me, man. Well, my small group isn't good anymore. Like that one guy didn't call me that week to hold me accountable So that's why I went and blew up my life, man. Like that pastor's just not preaching. It's not feeding me anymore, man. It's like, what? When did we become reliant on the diet of other people giving us God? This reliance on uh, external supply of God's goodness, of God's truth, of God's revelation, of God's grace, this isn't a good place to stay in your maturity process. So in one season, you've got mentors, teachers, evangelists telling you that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and you're like, okay, that sounds good. Who can tell me more because I am a newborn infant spiritually and I need someone to help me? Okay, cool. Here's what we do. Boom, boom, boom. We get you connected. And you, you stay connected, right? And you choose to remain in fellowship with Jesus. You, and you don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren because it, it helps a whole lot. But at some point, you reach a maturity where you actually got to realize that it's not good for you to just remain a receiver from other people. The Bible says it's better to give, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And what it's saying is that when you are a king priest, it means that you actually have authority and you have ability to uh, dispel uh, inappropriate authorities in other people's lives. The one in you is greater than he that's in the world, so you can go break chains, you can go cast out demons, and you can go into spaces and you can create liberty and light where there was no liberty and when there was only darkness. And this is important for you to actually exercise. Because if you're a king priest and all you're doing is sitting in church listening to sermons and sitting in small groups and listening to teachings and sitting around and listening and receiving and listening and receiving and listening and receiving, and and that's all you're doing as a king priest, you're going to get bored, you're going to get idle, you're going to get apathetic, and you're going to be exactly where David was at when he hooked up with Bathsheba. He should have been at battle. He should have been at war. Instead, he was back at home where he wasn't supposed to be, not contributing to the battle that God had for him, and he was hooking up with people he wasn't supposed to be hooking up with. So what happens, what happens when we aren't engaging in royal priesthood as we ought to in the giving capacity is that we start acting like dumb sheep And we just follow whatever the strongest voice is around us or whatever the other sheep is doing. And then we're just hooking up with other sheep and making other sheep. So all of a sudden, when you start acting unlike a royal priest, when you are a royal priest in maturity, you decline the ring and the robe that God has gifted you in relationship with Heavenly Father. Man, this is a choice, guys. This is a a perspective of self. And if your perspective of self is you're just a sheep, you're never going to act like a king priest. You're never going to act like a king priest. And man, I'll tell you what. In my opinion as a pastor, you're probably, if you've been in the church longer than 10 years, you're probably closer in your understanding to king priest than you are newborn infant. But you may be more close closely related to newborn infancy in your empowerment or contribution in giving to others. It's going to be constantly misleading. You're going to be like, I'm a newborn infant. I haven't done or produced any fruit. I haven't had any disciples. I can't do anything. And it's, I get it. It's another leap of courage to begin to take your faith between you and God and begin to give it to others. See, it says this thing that I think is really important as we finish this time here. It says, look, It goes, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you've tasted he's good, then here's what I would tell you. Immediately start sharing that goodness with others. You may not be qualified to be an elder or a deacon in your leadership growth yet, but that doesn't stop you from giving the good that Jesus has given to you. It doesn't stop you if you had a full bunch of demons inside of you called legion, and Jesus cast it out. It doesn't stop you from going into the town witnessing about the goodness of Jesus as a deliverer. There was no new beginner's class that guy took before he went and witnessed. There wasn't. Like, he didn't get his hands laid on by the elders or the disciples. Like, immediately he got thrust into evangelism role of sharing with others about Jesus. You don't need qualifications, certifications. You don't need somebody to tell you it's okay to share about Jesus. The woman at the well, bunch of husbands currently with the man that's not even her husband. She didn't need anything else except an encounter with Jesus for her to go and get a bunch of people saved. So there's a whole lot of spiritual building up of that house that probably needed to take place before she could be a trusted so-and-so in the community. Sure, sure. But there is zero that needs to happen between your encounter with the goodness of God and you're giving that to others. If that's all you got, that's all you got. Share it. Give it. But but don't slide into this idea that you can't give until you are perfected. It's it's a deception. It's a broken concept. It was never, ever, 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 ever established by Jesus. Ever. I mean, Peter. Uh, Jesus sent him out two by two. And this was before Peter cut a dude's ear off assaulted a guy cut his ear off so Jesus was already establishing a new authority in them and they still had violent patterns inside of them and Judas also betrayed Jesus after this so I was like, we gotta realize that the perfect uh, form is not coming before you learn to give Thank you for listening to the Mountain Podcast The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas Nevada with services happening every Sunday at 9am and 11am If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.